everyone. So my name is Ashley Little, and today I'm joined by Cam Peters, Kaylee Boddy, uh, Jacob McPherson, and Sean Bowen. Today we are back for chapter three of Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Chris was an FBI negotiator for 24 years before he retired and started the Black Swan Group. Now he teaches his skills to individuals and groups. Uh, sorry, lost my place. So that he can learn how to better negotiate in all areas of their professional lives. Sean has been a fan of this book for a while and regularly references it with sellers, buyers, our private group, and even with us. Some of us have read Never Split the Difference multiple times, and some for some of us, this is our first read through, but we're all excited to learn something new or pick up something we've missed in previous reads. Over the next few weeks, we're going to go chapter by chapter to discuss all of Chris's techniques and how they can help us, and more importantly, you learn how to be a better negotiator for your business. So Sean, why don't you kick off chapter three? Awesome. Welcome back, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Um, we're going to get right into it. Uh, we're talking about chapter three, tactical empathy. Um, some of the cliff notes here are some of the things that we're talking about is imagine yourself in the counterpart situation, recognize their perspective and vocalize, demonstrate that recognition, understand your counterpart's feelings and hear what is fueling those feelings Focus your attention on identifying emotional obstacles that are standing in the way of an agreement. Analyze your counterpart's words, tone, body language, and spot changes uh, therein and look for, I don't even know that word. Incongruency. Incongruencies. Well, we know I don't <laughs> use that one. <laughs> so let's talk about this for a hot second. Um, this is something that I, I have been told that I do not have, which is empathy in general, but... <laughs> As far as being tactical, I think I'm pretty good with that. So I think I do this uh, more and more as I get through being in those negotiating standpoints um, by putting yourself in that person's position, thinking about what it feels like to be in that person's shoes, right? Knowing whether it's good or it's bad or what we like to call pain points, right? So what are their situations and how are we going to help fix those and or help solve that problem. So <clears throat> let's talk to, um, I guess this is almost, if you go through this individually, it, it kind of, I would say it's better to make it all as one whole piece instead of like breaking down individually. Um, so imagine yourself in a counterpart's position, recognizing their perspective, understanding how their feelings, um, paying attention to their feelings and focusing on the attention, identifying the emotional obstacles, which is what their feelings are on that specific idea or reason. Um, and then the words and tone is what we use over the phone versus in person uh, for body language. So um, let's start with Jacob. How did you feel about this chapter and what, what was it that helped you with it? So <clears throat> I think overall in this chapter, the biggest thing is just, I mean, basically just like we're talking about, right? It's the idea of listening and trying to understand what the other person is going through and where they're coming from. And uh, a couple of different ways to do that. I mean, mainly just for starters is listening, right? Asking questions, listening to what the seller is telling you and basically just trying to understand where they're coming from, right? So um, as far as feelings and emotions behind that, uh, you do that by labeling, which I'm sure we're about to dive into here a little bit, but it's the idea that um, if somebody says something, 
uh, let's say it's a probate situation, for example, and they're saying my, my grandmother just passed away two weeks ago, I inherited the house, there's a lot going on, I don't even really know what's, what's happening, I'm just overwhelmed, right? So, I mean, that sounds, that sounds really hard, I'm so sorry to hear that, right? So just kind of tuning into the emotions of other people and sellers as they're talking to you is a huge, huge aspect of building rapport. So um, that is probably the biggest takeaway that I have from the chapter is the idea of labeling and the idea of just of genuinely putting yourself in the other person's shoes and not just necessarily making it all about business because when people sell houses, it's not, it's not always business, right? Houses are very personal to people, whether or not they have memories there or whatever have you, those are things that you have to key in on and you have to be aware of. So those are the biggest takeaways that I would have from the chapter. Cool, Kaylee. I really like this chapter um, coming from, you know, different sales training. This was much better than what they teach you to feel felt bound <laughs> um, way of doing things. Um, um, it, it is, you know, paying attention to that person and trying to see their perspective um, or, you know, repeating back or labeling in this case, uh, what you think they're feeling. And I like the way that Voss did it in the book using um, his son or son as an example, but the way he was labeling it or expressing it made it kind of show, show his son how he was wrong in his thinking without saying he's wrong. So cool. I kind of cool. liked it that way. Very cool. Cam. Yeah, um, definitely on the tactical empathy, that's that's a big thing when you're working in real estate and talking with people in general. Um, sometimes there's emotions. Sometimes there's elevated emotions. I just had a phone call today where it was not very pleasant, right? And I had to listen to the person, understand he's got a lot going on. House maybe looking to get it foreclosed on. A lot of emotions in there a lot of listening to him and um repeating back what he's saying you know helping him understand that that i am listening and i'm trying to help and that that's the biggest thing because at the end of the day we're always trying to help somebody um so that's if you're not listening you're really there's no point to pick up the phone honestly there's no point to talk to somebody because you're not going to get anywhere so that was the biggest part of the first part of the chapter the tactical tactical empathy <laughs> cool Ashley, what do you feel like in your side of the house that this comes into play? Yeah, so on my side of the house, I think some of the biggest times this comes into play is when closing is delayed for whatever reason. And people are upset. They've already started planning where they're going to spend their money, how they're, what they're going to do, what loans they might be paying off, everything like that. And then, you know, it might extend past, uh, you know, a due date for a bill or something that they thought they would be able to count on. And that's when people get the most upset. And I kind of disagree with the idea of tactical empathy because the, the word tactical sort of implies that you're not actually taking the time to understand and empathize or feel where people are coming from. And I think empathy is something that we as humans just tend to do naturally, whether you realize it or not. So to be able to, eh, lost my train of thought there. I think especially with real estate, it's super important because as Jacob said, houses are personal. And generally everyone on the screen and anyone that's dealing with real estate investment 
has some kind of personal connection. If it's a probate case, you know someone that has died. If it's a tax uh, situation, chances are at some point you've been tight on money and you need it, you had a bill you couldn't pay. Or if it's a code violation, maybe the grass is too long, maybe something happened and you didn't have the time to cut the grass. Everyone has been in some kind of similar situation. So you have that shared experience to help you empathize. And I think with some businesses that it, it's not the same, but with real estate, it really is. You can really tune in to this shared experience and be able to empathize. Um, and I know Sean says he's bad at it. And I don't, <laughs> I think sometimes you're bad at expressing it is more what it is. I think you are a very empathetic person. You just can't express it very well sometimes. <laughs> I like that. You're empathetic. You just don't know how to do it. <laughs> so you don't know how to say it. <laughs> so one of the big things I always like to recognize here when we talk about empathy is paying attention to the real simple fact of majority of the sellers that you're dealing with sell one to three homes in their lifetime, right? So we as the wholesaler, the investment company, um, whatever model you're looking at in the real estate industry, have to keep that in mind. We deal with this day in and day out. This is not the norm for most people in the world, right? So this is either a primary investment form in their personal home or maybe one or two investment properties that they hold in their portfolio. But nine times out of 10, it's maybe the second home that they've ever bought, right? If they're not in the investment industry, that's not something that they are in the norm of. So understanding what people are going through and the things that happen, what is an everyday occurrence for us is not the norm for them right? So delayed title, um, tax issues, code enforcement issues, all these types of issues that arise, they're just like everyday things for us that we see all the time. We don't blink an eye at them. To them, it could be the biggest hill, what we look at as a molehill, as a mountain to them, right? So I think that would be something that anybody listening to this and even our team pays attention to and I think is really good at, right? It also goes back to like core of a core value of our company is just doing the right thing, well, that also involves listening, right? So I think that everybody does really well with that. And I think that this book helps speak to it. And Kaylee, for the fact that you deep dived it and liked it is even better because of your sales background, right? So it's a little bit more on the really have a heart, right? And really care instead of like Ashley says with the tactical side of it versus it doesn't need to be as much tactical as it just does like just be a real person and talk and have a real conversation, <laughs> right? All right. <clears throat> so oh, one, one final thing too. I okay. think it's important to remember that you might get frustrated when a seller is upset about something that is your everyday norm. Uh, for example, we had seller that thought they would, were going to be able to walk out of the attorney's office with $50,000 in cash the day they closed. And then we're upset about that. And that's a little bit like, um, why would you think that in the first place? sort of situation too where many, to me, <laughs> yeah yeah to me I'm like that that doesn't seem right but I have to remember okay take a deep breath this is it was their mother's home for example they've never done something like this before so they don't understand how it works so just calmly explain like hey I understand this it can be frustrating um that you have something you want to do with the money but you can't walk away with cash it's going to take a couple of days for you to actually have the money in hand and it's going to be a check. No, it's never going to be cash. <laughs> so that was something that we were like, Hey, maybe add this to the repertoire with, with your seller ahead of time. You're not walking away with cash, like actual cash, even though we say it's a cash deal. 
cashier's check at best. Yeah. Right. At best. Was there anything else that anybody wanted to touch on? I think this one went pretty quick, but uh, being able to have that as an all together piece instead of an individual bullet point, I think is easier to talk about instead of trying to go one for one. I think the, um, for the tactical part in this um, was really about um, going through the, the, the labeling that we're about to talk about without agreeing with the person. Because you're trying to you're trying to get something out of the out of the person or trying to get information or trying to get them to agree with you or see the error of what they're saying without saying you're wrong or without saying my perspective is right. So the tactical part of that is using what, what we're about to discuss, the labeling, to show them or that you understand without saying I agree with you or saying that you're right. So I think that's the tactical part of it. Because you do have to say it a certain way for it to come off that way. I agree. I agree. Cool. All right. Anything else, Ashley? You're kind of uh, echoing. So I don't know. Sean is. How about now? That's better. I don't know what happened there. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. We can move on to labeling. All right. So let's get to labels. Labels serve uh, to validate your counterpart's emotion by verbal acknowledgement uh, or acknowledging it. And it starts with, it seems like, or it sounds like, or it looks like. Um, and this, an example would be, it sounds like trust is something that is important to you. After filling in the blank, pause and let the label sink in. Your counterpart will fill in the silence. Every fourth verbalization should be a label. So I think this is a really big one that we talk about a lot with our company. And to Kaylee's point, which was in the way that we're doing this, because we're over the phone, we're actually doing mirrors and labels prior to the tactical empathy side. Again, I'll agree with the tactical side of it being these labels and mirrors um, and framing that allow the seller to open up to you. Right. This is where most of the time by talking on the phone and doing these, it sounds like you're not really interested in selling or it looks like you might be more better served to go with a realtor. Um, these kind of talks, this, this kind of sentencing is what allows the, the flow of the conversation to go more without you having to ask a lot of questions. It's almost like a mirror, but it's not. And the label actually gets a little bit more because it pushes back into kind of like the point of what we we're saying, right? You're not calling them out and saying, no, you're wrong. <laughs> right. So it seems like we might not be a good fit for each other on this deal. Right. That's almost a takeaway, a negative sale and negative sale technique. Right. So yeah, let's see, let's dig into it and dig around here because this is one of my, I do this all the time without even recognizing it. And I get called out on it with you guys now because you've read the book multiple times. You're like, oh, and I don't even realize I'm doing it. So <laughs> let's start with Jacob and uh, tell us your thoughts here. Uh, I think the hardest part about labeling. So the whole idea behind it, obviously, is to is to use it to identify where you're at in a conversation, right? Whether or not it's qualifying or whether or not you're trying to identify a specific emotion uh, behind maybe some of the motivation with the seller, right? So those are the two big things that come to mind when I think of labeling. Um, 
I think that you hit it right on the head as far as, you know, we use it all the time, right? It sounds like a retail sale. Sounds like it, you're looking more for retail, right? And then, like you said, you, you let the seller basically fill in the blank. The one thing that I would say is really difficult if you're trying labeling for the first time and it's something that you're not used to doing, I think that um, <laughs> just like we talked about when we asked the $10,000 question, right? Right after you ask it, you need to shut your mouth and stop talking. And that I think is the hardest thing about labeling because especially for somebody like myself, because you all, I mean, everybody knows that I love to talk, right? So when it comes to identifying and uh, labeling, whether or not that's intentionally mislabeling or labeling to, uh, to try to find the accurate emotion or assumption, whatever it is, it's really, really difficult for me sometimes to shut up after I label something. So I would say that's one thing to, to look out for. The first time you try it, it might be a little awkward if you're not used to it, but the silence is really what makes it effective because if you label and then you continue to talk, you don't get the, you don't get the response, the intended response from the seller that's ultimately going to give you the information that you were initially looking for when you mentioned the label in the first place. So that's the biggest takeaway that I have when it comes to labels is just make sure that you really do give it time to set in and then go from there and see what the seller says and how they respond. And then at that point, it goes back to listening and trying to understand where they're coming from. So you're still keeping the tactical empathy aspect of it in the background the entirety of the time that you're talking. Nice. Kaylee. Um, I agree with um, the things that Jacob said. Um, well, I've been trying to use this in my, in my personal life. So now once my family sees this video, they're going to know and it's not going to work <laughs> anymore. So that kind of sucks. But, <laughs> but yes, um, I actually use this to, today, you know, personally. Um, nice. Just right. <laughs> in, in, a, in a debate, the, the person didn't think I was understanding what you know, they were saying or I wasn't listening. And I just use, it sounds like, it seems like, and I said, just ran it all off. <laughs> um, and I didn't get, that's right, but <laughs> I got, you got it. So I'm assuming that's the same as, you know, that's right. But um, but yeah, so even in talking um, on the phone to the prospects, you know, listening and especially if someone is frustrated because we've had these calls that are frustrated to calm them down, repeating, back so they know that you're understanding like it sounds like you know this has been a real hassle for you you know and then okay I don't do the shut up part like Jacob said I immediately try to give a resolution and maybe I shouldn't so I'll work on just shutting up first <laughs> nice All right. Cam tell us what you think yeah, this is one of my favorite parts between this, the mirror and this, I like the labels the most, honestly. And I do this all the time, just like you guys do in my personal life and on the phone many times a day. Um, you know, one today was, you know, talking with an offer with somebody and we gave them an offer and they have an offer that's maybe just a little bit higher. It's kind of silly how much higher. And, um, but they're not comfortable with the other person and that, you know, I don't know, they're kind of flaky, they're kind of this and that. Oh, I mean, it sounds like you're not comfortable. And that just opened up the door. And this was all on text messaging. We're just texting back and forth, texting back and forth. Um, it definitely works. You definitely need that silence piece there. And that's why it even works in a text message because if you only leave that one thing there and don't put anything else there, 
it it works um and it'll it'll just it's kind of like an onion right it'll just peel back that first layer and they'll give you the second layer and then if you can just figure out how to do it again you can go four or five or more times sometimes before you got to realize at a certain point it's not gonna work <laughs> but it'll work for more than one time for sure so that's that's what i take from this and i i also notice in here in the study guide but in the book it definitely it, it seems like it sounds like it looks like and it feels like and i think it feels like is the one you use um most sparingly it sounds like it's definitely the one i use all day every day right. yep that's the easiest one yeah yeah that's what i got cool ashley yeah, um, I don't really use this. I I don't tend to talk on the phone with sellers until we get to the very end. And even then I might not talk to them at all on the phone. Um, I'm always too scared. I'm gonna screw up the deal somehow. Uh, <laughs> like I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna torpedo it by telling them that, you know, we have to pay for closing costs or something. I don't know. I, I hate to interrupt, but you use this with us, so. Oh, do I? Then yeah, so you use this. You do. <laughs> <laughs> if I do, it's unintentional, but, or un, uh, subconsciously, but yeah, one of the things that caught me with this too, is the, uh, every fourth verbalization should be a label. And the first time I read that, I was like, how does someone even keep track of that? Like, do you sit there and like, do, 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 do all the way? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> and then, you know, use it. Like, what if it doesn't work in the flow of the conversation? Um, and I think in the end, it's just making sure that you're using it regularly. You're not letting it fall by the wayside. But Cam said, like Cam said too, um, kind of using them strategically. So using the feel sort of uh, as your, I don't want to say last resort, but as one of the things that you're going to use the least and then using the sounds like more often. Cool. Good stuff all the way around, guys. All right. So let's move on to the next one. And the next one is neutralize the negative. And the bullet points here are focus first on clearing the barriers to agreement, label your counterparts fears, negative perception to diffuse them of their power, uh, avoiding negative and counterproductive effect on trust and influence. It probably seems like an example they're using is it probably seems like we're avoiding responsibility by changing the account owner. So this is actually a really good one. Um, I, I use this, we talk to this a lot when we're training and we're talking about how to use these for examples. So the steps in defusing negatives, observe and listen without reacting or judging. Oh my God, is that like the hardest thing ever? Label each negative feeling uh, you hear expressed, right? And then replace with positive, compassionate and solution-based thoughts. So for me really quick on this piece, like this is one that, is I've, I've, over years I've gotten really good at, right? I come from a contracting background, like it's all hit, hit or miss, like punch you in the face and punch back. And like, it's all just negative. So to change that mindset, when you have a seller or a buyer coming at you with just issue after issue and problem after problem, shutting up and letting them talk um, is actually allowing them to get more out that you probably wouldn't have asked in the first place or you don't have to dig for, right? And then throwing up a quick label, right? So this is the getting the, the fear where they're talking about like labeling your counterparts fear. It sounds like this is gonna be a really tough situation. I'd like to figure out how I can help you solve that, right? That is after they've just 
gone to town, spit it all out, right? And then your la- your little label comes in for the next windfall of conversation that they're just going to unload another session, right? And that's okay. Like this is this is what these are for so that the barriers come down in the sense of, man, this person can really listen to me. AKA they didn't say a damn word except for a quick label and maybe a mirror that just allowed them to flow, right? And let them talk, which is very powerful, guys. Very powerful. Um, so I want to hear on y'all's side, like, what do you feel like in this specific piece that has allowed you to use this in any scenario, whether it's a good seller, a bad seller, use some examples of like when you guys are talking about it, give us some examples of what that felt like. Jacob, let's start with you. Sure. So I think the biggest thing and what it's actually, I find it to be one of the most difficult things, but, um, the one that I think of most consistently is when you're getting yelled at over the phone, right? So you have a seller who is unhappy for whatever reason, right? And the the idea of remaining calm and just keeping your voice smooth and level and so on and allowing them to talk goes a really, really long way in allowing that person to uh, come down off the cliff, so to speak. So I think that that's, that's key when it comes to neutralizing negatives you have to let the other person get out whatever it is that they're upset about and the only way that you're going to do that effectively is if you're not really showing emotion and if you're just simply allowing them to do it and sometimes that requires you to basically just get punched in the face over and over and over again and take it right which is something that's really difficult for a lot of people um the other thing that i would say really comes to mind is that if you know i do this in work um if I know that I, let's just say, I promised a customer that I would have something to them by X time, right? And I didn't have it for them then, or if an order was delayed by, you know, whatever, the manufacturing side of the house and so on, rather than letting that fester and build up over time, right? The best thing that you can do is literally go right at it. So what I'll do is I'll call the customer directly. And instead of making up an excuse of, well, this happened, that happened, right? My dog got hit by a car on the way over here, whatever, right? Instead of doing that, I'll go right at the problem and say, hey, look, I screwed up. This is entirely on me. I'm sorry. It was not intentional, right? I hope it didn't cause any issues on your end. What I'd like to do moving forward is get that taken care of. Here's what I'm going to do. And then is there anything else that you're expecting of me after the fact, right? So yeah, it kind of sucks because you're basically admitting your fault, right? In that particular case, I'm admitting the fault of my company or myself when it comes to, you know, I guess, act, or um, I guess admitting to that, right? In front of customers and so on. But the response that I get is usually a quick, like, done afterwards. It's basically them coming back and saying, yeah, I get it. It happens. All right. So let's just make sure it doesn't happen again. And yes, I need this here by Friday, right? Okay, cool. And then you get it done by Friday and you're good to go. So I think that just openly admitting, especially when you're, if you're the one that is at fault, instead of trying to create an excuse, I mean, everybody, everybody knows what those sound like, right? Most of the time, I feel like people can, people can tell whether or not you're bullshitting them anyway. So really all you're doing is you're making the situation worse because you're not making yourself look honest and, and acting as if you have the integrity, right? Which, which is key to building relationships. So I think that those are the biggest takeaways that I have when it comes to going at the negative is if you're the one that's wrong, be a man about it, right? Or be a woman about it and uh, stand up for yourself and admit that. And then two, I mean, just take it. If it's, if it's you getting yelled at and somebody just needs to get something off their chest, then allow them to do that. Don't react. Don't raise your voice. 
just stay cool, calm, and collected and see if you can get through the situation. Cool. Kaylee, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I haven't had to um, kind of you know, deal with this too much yet. Um, but I certainly can see where um, putting the negative out there first um, certainly helps. You're, one, you're, it's like you're, uh, even if you don't say I, I apologize or I'm sorry, but it's like you're apologizing just by saying, you know, what the negative, what happened. Um, but you're also taking that uh, um, leverage away from them. So they can't turn around and use it on you um, later. Um, I think the closest that I've probably gotten, and I was talking to a couple, and in the background, all I could hear was the wife complaining about um, how many people have said they were going to you know, buy their house for cash and they, you know, she, they explain what's wrong with the property and no one ever calls back. So, you know, I was just like, yeah, it sucks when people don't keep their word, but that's like the closest to, you know, that I've had to deal with so far on our calls. But yeah, getting that out of the way, even if you're not taking the blame, but getting the negative out of the way. So it clears the air and you can move forward. Awesome. Cam. Sorry, the mute. Yeah, so um, this one I definitely use, obviously, maybe it's not usually on an initial call with the seller, but it's usually when you're going back and apologizing something for something or explaining something um, that's went wrong. And the most recent one was, you know, a property that we can't close on on time because of the age of the building, because of termite issues and this and that and the other. And so as I called and explained this to the to seller, they're obviously not happy, right? And so he told me a few things, you know, the, the property's about to get foreclosed on, you know, his, his, his wife, it's creating turmoil in the house, right? It's messing with his credit. There, there's things going on, right? And he told me a few things and I just let him, <clears throat> let him say what he needed to say, right? But to keep that tone, kind of like Jacob mentioned to lower the tone, lower the tone, right? And then address all those concerns. Like, look, I, I understand, you know, that this is creating some friction in your household. I'm definitely, I'm understanding that. And I'm sorry that this is happening, but I'm really here to propose a solution today. I understand that, you know, the bank is on you and you know what I mean? It's just empathizing with all those things and explaining how you can help and hopefully, you know, creating that or using that empathy to, to carry everything forward to, you know, the positive outcome that you're looking for. So that's where I use this one. It's more when somebody's upset, it happens less, I think, than the rest of, um, the labeling, the mirroring, that's all day, every day, but this is a little bit more sparingly. You're muted. Do you have any use for this at your time? <laughs> <laughs> Me? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do, because this is one of those things too, where no one is perfect. Um, as much as some of us like to pretend otherwise, it, it's just the case. And so I, I want to go kind of back to what Jacob was talking about with taking responsibility for your actions and what's happened. And sometimes you just have to eat crow and say, hey, yeah, I messed up or I didn't communicate this properly to my partner who needed, to, needed this from me. Something like that to explain, okay, yes, my fault. 
but I'm going to try to make it better. And then it's a lot, a lot of that, the success of that not only hinges on their, um, like you letting them vent a little bit to you, but also on the actions and steps you take directly afterward. So you can say, tell the cows come home that you made a mistake. Um, something happened, whatever. But unless you are following that up with, hey, with an email or another phone call or something with, okay, here's the paperwork I need from you, or here's, I, I'm seeing, seeing you on an email to our attorney so that we can get this started, um, whatever needs to be done. So the, those actions that you do following up with acknowledging your mistakes or acknowledging the problems are arguably just as important. Awesome. Good stuff all the way around, guys. All right. So this is the last part of this chapter, and this is the accusation audit. Imagine the worst things your counterpart might think or say about you. Label these negatives in your opening line and preemptive with empathy. And I'm not good at that. I'm getting somewhat better at it. I don't do good at this one. <laughs> Use labels to reinforce and encourage positive perceptions. Remove I understand from your vocabulary. This phrase does not demonstrate understanding and can breed resentment. So <clears throat> I guess I'm going to, this is a faulty, for me, this is a faulty one because I'm really bad at it. Um, I like to go back and use it almost as like the negative neutralizer, right? So where we talk about taking the blame ahead of time. It's kind of the same way I feel about this. I, I guess I would, I would mix these together, right? Um, so the accusation audit is almost like when he talks about it in the book and he's like, look, I understand, you know, you don't like us right now. You, you're not happy with us. We haven't closed. We haven't done what we said we we're going to do. We didn't get it closed on time, but here's the reasons why. And here's how I plan to help you. Here's how I want to continue to move forward and make this thing done. So to me, I feel like, is almost a Mary of these two, um, which is probably why I can't speak to the best part of this chapter in this point. Um, I just, I have not used it enough or I don't play with it enough to say it's something I can be part of. So I'll let you guys speak to it um, a little bit more than I can because it's not one that I use enough or pay attention to. So let's start with Jacob. I think, um, <clears throat> thankfully, I haven't had to use this on the real estate side a whole lot. Um, unfortunately, I have had a pretty extensive experience with it on the career side of the house. Um, and it usually always comes down to, um, like, I think the biggest example that I can think of is uh, project managing, right? So if I go out and I sell a system and then it goes over to the operations side of the house and operations comes in and they're supposed to do the complete installation, the testing and everything, right? And basically get it set up for the customer. If I go in and I promise one thing and then operations does not uh, hit every single item that I promised across the board, right? Historically speaking, that's when the customer will come back and say, hey, this isn't what you said it was going to be, right? It's changed and um, or maybe the schedule got pushed or whatever have you, right? So when we know that there's going to be, and it's almost with every single project, but it's basically a, a follow-up meeting, a follow-up project management meeting to basically discuss uh, everything that went wrong and then discuss action items moving forward as far as what to improve on, right? So when we go into those types of meetings, those meetings tend to be with the higher ups in the organization. So before I go in there, before we go in there as a team, we always talk about 
everything that went wrong that we have identified, and usually it's above and beyond what the customer even identified. I would say nine times out of 10, we are a little bit more critical of ourselves than what the customer is on us, right? So when we kickstart that conversation, it usually does start off with something along the lines of like, look, we understand that this project did not go the way that we had initially said it was, it was going to, right? It probably looks like we didn't do the greatest job when it comes to project managing and, it, and you know, we definitely failed in a, in a couple of key areas, right? So we go ahead and we outline every single one of those right at the beginning of the conversation because getting it out there, right, again, going straight at the negative, we know that these are things that likely the customer is already expecting to bring up, right? So if we go ahead and we identify those before they even bring them up and they're in agreement with it, it makes us look better because obviously at that point, it kind of sounds like we have our shit together, right? Like we know what went wrong. We're not happy about it. We understand you're not happy about it. What we do want to do is fix it, right? So that's what I want to focus on moving forward is how do we go about that and how do we continue this relationship so that both of us can benefit? That's the overall conversation that we're trying to have when those meetings occur. And every single time we've done that, I can't tell you the number of times that I've walked into a customer completely expecting to get get my ass reamed out and then we'll walk out of there and it will actually have been a pretty good meeting all things considered even though we're still not necessarily 100 percent, it's way way better than what it could have been so i think the idea of just identifying everything that you did wrong and admitting to that on the front end i think people are just more understanding and again not trying to hide things and just being open and honest about it and not trying to bullshit anybody so because we all have issues and most people can understand that but it does come down to what you do after the fact. And I wholeheartedly agree with Ashley as far as the actions that you do after you have that conversation are equally as critical as having the conversation and identifying the items themselves. Nice. Kaylee. Um, I agree with you, Shonda, neutralizing um, the negative and, uh, and the accusation audits um, are the same or very similar. Um, so getting that negative out of the way and admitting what you're doing wrong or whatever the problem is up front. Um, very important to be able to move the, the conversation forward. M on this, my biggest thing is the same as yours, obviously, is Sean, is the I understand, because that's what you just said <laughs> when you were giving an example of this accusation audit. The first sentence you said was, I understand. <laughs> so that's my problem too. I have to learn to remove that as this said. Um, I have learned to say I can imagine instead of I understand because um, a long time ago, <laughs> um, I was speaking to someone and trying to get you know what I needed done and the person's mother had died. And, and I'm trying to empathize and I empathize by, say, by saying, I understand. And that person said, have you lost your mom? No, then you don't understand. <laughs> so that's, I, I really have to work on that. So I learned to say, I can imagine in most situations, but after reading this book, that's still not the right thing to say. So um, I am still working on that part. Cool. cool. Cameron. Yeah, so bring that up too. I understand part because honestly, I don't remember this in the book and I've read it multiple times. So <laughs> I need to work on removing that. And I think the closest way I've ever done that is 
kind of what Kaylee said, but um, I can't possibly understand, right? So it lets them know right away that you can't. Um, and I was very empathetic with that when I was in the military and you'd be in a hard situation, kind of like Kaylee mentioned, where somebody had lost a parent or a sibling. Those are two people I've never lost, right? I've lost grandparents. And so um, that's, that's something that I'll work on. But an accusation audit back to real estate, long time ago, I had to go back and ask for a reduction from a seller, right? So it promised a seller a, um, a certain price and had to reduce it because as we got in there, the roof, although it looked great on the outside and looked newer on the outside, it had been leaking and there were many um, boards that needed to be replaced and just need to be reshingled, right? And so I had to go back and explain that to her. And I had actually just, first time I read this book, I believe this is about a year and a half ago or so. And so when I called her up on the phone, um, I told her that, you know, by the end of this call, you know, you might think that I've, you know, been dishonest with you. You might think that I've, you know, promised you something and now I'm taking it back and you might think this and you might, it's been a while. So I forget exactly how I worded it, but I used that practice to explain why. And honestly, it went a little smoother than I had anticipated. And she said, for some reason, I knew when you called and the way you started the call that it wasn't going to be good news. But I do remember that when you first walked through the house, we kind of talked about the roof and you said, you know, you thought it looked good, but you did see some, there was some sagging and some other things, some signs that maybe I should have paid a little more attention to, but I can't see what I can't see. So um, that's an example of when I use this. And that's, that's another one, the accusation audit that maybe you use a little bit more um, sparingly in uh, real estate investment anyways. All right, Ashley. Yeah, and just one final note on the idea of I understand. It, it really goes back to that idea of words versus actions. So I liken this back to the idea of love languages um, where if you, yeah, I know, <laughs> Sean's face, but if you are telling your partner, your parent, your sibling, your friend, whoever, I love you, but their love language isn't words of affirmation, that's not going to mean anything to them. You have to show them by your actions, like what you mean, whether it's, um, you know, touch, not necessarily with sellers or giving gifts or whatever the case is, but it's not, it might work with some people. It might feel like you are empathizing with them, but for other people, it'll just seem like a shallow sort of gesture and you have to kind of feel that out. But by acknowledging, I, I like the idea, Cam, that you had of, I couldn't possibly understand because there are some things that until you experience that you just don't know. But I think, thankfully, we're not in that kind of situation most of the time. Um, we do handle probate, so that does come up occasionally, but for the most part, it is a little bit lower stress in some cases. And so you can kind of take that time to feel out whether or not it's going to work with your seller or not. But yeah, I think overall, just making sure that they feel heard. And even if you have negative news to deliver, that that's the important part. They feel heard. They feel like you understand, even if you don't say that, and that you are trying to work with them. Awesome. Awesome, awesome discussion on this chapter, guys. I think there's a lot of things specifically in this chapter that we use because we talk to it daily, weekly, during our meetings, during our uh, events that we, ho we host. 
I think a lot of this comes up a lot of the time and people don't realize how powerful this stuff is with just the way you talk, right? So really good chapter. Um, Do we miss anything, Ashley? Anything we got to add here? Uh, nope. I have my little outro, but that's it. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for listening to us discuss chapter three of Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. We'll be back next week for chapter four. If you've enjoy- been enjoying our podcast and or our YouTube channel, please leave us reviews or comments. Let us know what you think, what you want to hear, how wholesaling out of the box or Never Split the Difference has helped you. Uh, We love, love, love getting feedback from you guys. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's Ashley with Wholesaling Out of the Box. Thank you so much for listening to our episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We've got a lot more content coming for you on your podcatcher of choice, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all of the above. So We'd really, really appreciate it if you would be willing to write a review if you have the time today for us down on whatever, wherever you're listening to this, because reviews help us so much to get in front of more people. And it lets us see what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you're interested in, things like that. So give us any kind of feedback. Sean and I are always saying we like all feedback, all uh, constructive criticisms so that we can get better, so that we can give you the content that you're looking for. So if you could leave us a review, that would be magical. And that's, that's it. Thanks for listening.